Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. We are coming to you from Sydney, Australia. Summer in Sydney, Australia. Today is Friday, the 12th of December. Screaming along to the end of the, the year. 2014 is nearly done. Um, you're listening to episode 52 of the It's a Monkey podcast with me, is James Peter, co-founder and CTO of Managed Flutter. James is coming to you live from Vancouver, Canada. I believe rainy, rainy, and a bit more rain. Yeah, definitely not uh, not the sunny Sydney. Um, we've we've got a small break in the in the rain right now. It's um, it's 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 holding off for like an hour, but um, I think we've uh, we've had a week of rain and we've got another week of rain coming up. So. Plenty to look forward to on our end. <laughs> Sydney people are so fussy. If it rains for like an hour, they're like, oh, geez, I'm, you know, when's this rain going to stop? Or if it's a little bit cold, you know, if it's a little bit cold, a little bit wet, a yeah. little bit windy, Sydney people are not happy. So spoilt with the weather. Yeah, I've definitely found a new appreciation for rain being over here, all the different types you can have. <laughs> it's almost like, I think we need different words for, like Eskimos have different words for snow, I think, and they, they need different words for rain because there's so many different types we get. Yeah. Um, anyway, you're listening to episode 52 of the podcast. Um, if you haven't listened to episode 51 yet, have a listen. Go to the itamonkey.com um, site and have a listen to episode 51. We interviewed Eden Full who's um, CEO and founder of Sun Saluta, which is a product that uses gravity to um, move solar panels to follow the sun and become more efficient. And uh, it's been rolling out across uh, Africa and an incredibly smart young person, only 22, I believe, and doing great things. James, she's, um, she's a graduate of the, the, the Teal Fellowship. I don't know if you uh, remember Peter Teal um, offering people money to drop out of uni. Oh really? Oh okay, that's very cool. Yeah. So um, I'm I'm I, I don't know if I'm going to ask you if you've if you've listened to episode fifty one that I did with Chelsea. <laughs> I did I did actually I listened to um, uh, I did, got about halfway through and um, I started doing some other stuff and I forgot to get back to it but I did I listened to most of it it was good it was good. Yeah. She's she's a good uh, a good replacement for me when I'm not around. <laughs> she, she's a natural. She refuses to believe me that she's a natural. For some reason, I think maybe because she never envisaged herself behind her microphone, but Chelsea sounds great and, um, you know, a testament to her and maybe a, a notch against myself and you, her podcasts, the stats actually notch up, have been notching up. <laughs> so there's definitely, there's definitely something she going on the there. Crowd. Yeah, she's, she's a crowd puller. Anyway, um, got a great show for you, as always. Going to chat about a couple of news stories soon. And then uh, we've got an interview with Mark Rasutas, who's the head of innovation at News Corp Australia, that big global conglomerate um, News Corp, which owns Wall Street Journal, um, uh, bought MySpace, then sold MySpace, um, owns a bunch of um, uh, newspapers in Australia, um, to Rupert Murdoch, uh, you, you know, is the founder, and it started out of uh, one newspaper in Adelaide, a small little sleepy town in Australia. So we chatted to him about the the news industry and uh, journalism and newspapers and online and and business models. So stick around. That's coming up a little bit later in the show. Remember, please go to the itsamonkey.com site, pop in your email address. You'll get a notification each time a podcast is published. Um, subscribe on iTunes or Podcast Republic. Or James, what software do you use for um, for podcasts? 
um, websites actually. <laughs> I know I should use something more complex. I tend to use I tend to listen to stuff when I'm on my computer, so I actually just literally have a whole bunch of websites that I go to. Um, so you don't listen. Have you listened to? No, not not really. Well, I don't really have much of a commute. I mean, I walk, but I normally walk with um, Zara, so I don't um, I don't actually have much time to listen other than when I'm at my computer. Sorry, you were going to ask me something. Oh, um, do you listen to? Uh, have you been listening to Serial? You're the second Talking person of. today that's asked me that, so it's obviously <laughs> um, it's obviously worth listening to. It's it's it seems to be the first sort of um, blockbuster podcast. Yeah, they're doing they're doing really well. Yeah, yeah, it's just the it's, it's just like that kind of feeling you get from like a really good TV show or um, or something like that. It's just really it's really hook. It's got a great hook, um, and it's all about sort of real stuff as well. That's kind of almost going on right now. So it's it's got all this uh, that intrigue to it as well, and uh, the unsolved nature of it. Um, it's about a, it's about a um, a guy who was. Um, um, sent to jail for the murder of his girlfriend, and it's sort of exploring that case and, um, and whether he really did it or not, and all the complexity around it. It's very, very interesting. Highly recommend it. I'll, I'll have a listen to it. I'm, I'm curious to see what, what is drawing people in. So, we're always interested in drawing more people into our podcast. Maybe we should start discussing unsolved murders, James. Maybe our, <laughs> listeners, our listeners will spike a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We've got to one up them. Maybe maybe we'll do a murder and then we'll we'll, we'll discuss it. Jeez, <laughs> Jeez look, you got to got to be careful what you say, James. Um, yeah, no, no, I don't think I don't I'm, think I'm joking. I'm not doing a murder. <laughs> I, I, I don't think that's a good idea. But um, I don't know. Maybe we can find out some some other some other mystery. Um, anyway, let's let, let's get into talking of um, drama and intrigue. Uber. Um, is been all over the press for all the right and wrong reasons. They raised a bunch of money. Of course, Uber, the ride-sharing app, which um, you know is born out of San Francisco. A friend asked me this morning, "Do I use Uber?" I said, "Yeah, I've been using it. You know, since they launched in San Francisco, when I used to travel over there, be and mainly because San Francisco cabs were just a nightmare. To they're just so short of cabs there, and that that's one of the reasons why Uber. It's no coincidence that they actually came out of San Francisco. Besides the fact it's the tech startup HQ. Anyway, they've raised a bunch of money i'm trying to pull it up here it was um um anyway that's at four billion forty billion dollar valuation and they 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 raised um another 1.2 billion dollars so it just these are massive massive numbers and raised more than 40 billion dollars there's rumors that uber's turning over more than 200 million dollars at the moment i mean james what i find most mysterious about all of this is that the barriers to entry for Uber are pretty low. There's a bit of technology. There's a bit of um, you know distribution that they're building with the drivers. There's obviously brand, but I, I I'm quite perplexed. And there's a bit of first mover advantage, but um, I don't know if if you were an investor with a chunk of money, would you invest into Uber? Um. You know, I think there's a bit of a network effect there. I mean, there's obviously the element of of building up that audience. I mean, you've got to get the the drivers, you've got to, got to get the um, the actual passengers as well. Um, and obviously, you kind of got to get a critical mass there. 
um, in order for it to work in a city. Um, and that makes it really hard for somebody to kind of um, take over. Um, and I do kind of get the feeling where it's going to be a situation where, you know, there's only going to be one one winner. I don't really think it's going to be a case where we're going to be seeing, you know, like 10 different ride-sharing apps just because I don't think the market would, would support it and it doesn't make sense either. Like you're always going to go for the best one. It doesn't make sense to go for um, another one unless it's, you know, it's a lot cheaper. Um, so, look, I, I still think they've got something good going on there. Um, I think it is kind of defensible in that sense. Um yeah, I mean, obviously, this this issue with the drivers is obviously a big thing for them. The fact that um, their screening isn't, you know, is 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 comprehensive as you know, taxi um, taxi drivers go through. Um, well, let's talk. I mean, let's... it'd be interesting. Sorry, go. It'd be interesting to know, like, I mean, obviously, there are these cases now of like these accused rapings and um, and all this other stuff, sexually uh, sexual abuse by sort of Uber drivers that are coming out. Um, I'd be interesting to know, you know, whether there are cases like that from taxi drivers, because I'd imagine there would be. Like, well, you know, once you hit a certain scale, surely this stuff happens. It's just something you can't avoid. Let, let's talk about the controversies around Uber. Um, I mean, one is the, um, you know, one, one of the people that were hired to to deal with all the lobbying and political issues at a New York dinner said that they might be allocating budgets to um, digging up dirt on journalists that say negative things about them. Now, that, now that's, a, that's a big deal. You know, that's, that's really dirty tricks. And Pando Daily, Sarah Lacey, who's a very well-established Silicon Valley reporter, uh, was one of the, the people, I think, mentioned by name. And um, so she's been writing and tweeting a lot about it. Um, they also, the culture within Uber was, was criticized and that a bit of a quote-unquote bro culture, um, you know, um, accessing data when they shouldn't seeing where rides um, people were going and also the data revealing when people were having one night stands and affairs and flings and the data revealing all this sort of juicy information and people, um, you know, not, not treating it seriously. And of course, um, them not screening the drivers properly. And so, you know, Uber, I believe, has been pulled out of Spain, Netherlands, um, Portland in the States. Um, California's got a couple of court cases going. So I think one of the reasons that Uber has raised so much money is it's going gonna, it's gonna to try push all of these through the courts and, and set a new playing field, um, a status quo. I mean, I think um, there is an argument for the fact that Uber X is, is, is not really fair on the cab drivers. Um, you know, the, the playing field does need to be level. Um, I think another reason why they've raised all the money is that um, if there's an accident, um, Uber will Uber will cover some of the insurance that the insurance companies won't cover. Because if you if you got normal insurance and you and you're carrying passengers for money, I, I believe that the insurance company will not cover you. Um, so there's all these issues. But I sometimes wonder if Uber is is Yahoo and we're waiting for the the Google to come along the second mover that's going to you know navigate around all these issues um the networking effects i, I hear you on that I, I think they are quite light i mean i think we've all been in cabs where they've got five phones attached to the dashboard with five different taxi apps and they um and the screening the drivers and the problems with the cabs i mean there was definitely there was a there was a case in sydney recently i saw this week in the newspaper that there was some cab driver that was um has been thrown into jail for um, a sexual assault issue so it's definitely not um limited 
to Uber. And uh, in fact, Uber might be better off in that they actually track everything as well. So once the Uber ride, it's, it's GPS tracked and they got records of everything. I don't know the taxi cabs, what type of tracking they have. So interesting time for the, the transportation industry. But um, look, you know, the, the company cultural issues are an interesting one. The company culture is incredibly important. It always comes from the CEO. And things like um, disrespecting data and, um, you know, digging up dirt on journalists and all of that. I mean, that's, uh, you know, that's, that, that never ends. That never ends well. Yeah, definitely. Why, why do you, sorry, just going back to that other point, why do you think um, UberX isn't fair for the taxi drivers? Well, UberX, I mean, you don't, I mean, the cab drivers, I spoke to one in Melbourne, I mean, he says every year, besides having to own the taxi plate, which is about whatever, $300,000 or $400,000, something like that. So, but so, you know, you're licensed to own a taxi. And besides that, you have to pay something about 25000 to $30,000 a year in extra insurances and fees and checks just be, before you even hit the road. Uh, whereas UberX, there's nothing. You know, a normal car, the late model car, and you're on the road and you're making money. Um, you know, no, no taxes to the government, um, you know, no compliance checks, no pre-qualifications. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not one for layering all sorts of laws and compliance, you know, just for the sake of it. But I do see the argument from the cabs in that it's not a playing field if they if they saddled with all, sets, all, all different um, requirements. So... I think uh, I think these are hurdles that are really easy to get over. Everyone, as usual, has just got to sit in a room and talk about them. And they've just maybe there needs to be two tiers, you know, of of, of cabs, official c- cabs, and then ride sharing cabs, and and some sort of agreements. But I I don't think we can expect to carry passengers commercially um, or semi commercially, and and not have some controls. Things accidents are going to happen. There are going to be dodgy drivers. Um, let's put in some sort of loose structures in place and i don't think uber's going to be the first ride sharing app um at all i think someone's someone's going to come up especially if they're making huge profits it's always attracts new entrants and away you go yeah it's interesting i still i still think uber's probably gonna win i think they've um i think despite their problems they've got so much success i think it's gonna i think the momentum will drive them through and um I would imagine eventually they'll they'll do with their internal issues. Look, I mean, but who uh, knows? We'll see. I mean, I mean, one of the big barriers to entries now is that they've got zillions of dollars of funding, so that's definitely True. a barrier to entry. Particularly if you're dealing with legal issues and lobbying and all sorts of bits and pieces. And uh, maybe you know, Google Ventures is one of the investors. And you know, you know, if you get a exclusive on Google self-driving cars, well, huge barrier to entry. You know, yeah. so huge difference yeah. huge huge difference so we'll we'll see if they um you know if they ever head to listing and it's just it's quite interesting but and travis kalanick i think that's how you pronounce his surname the ceo obviously a very very gutsy guy um you, you know the incumbents the taxi industry um aren't known necessarily in in certain jurisdictions um to be accommodating uh, or or easy you know to uh, uh accommodate but it's the same old story about industries being disrupted i don't think it's too late for the taxi industries to actually come up with their own solutions uh, similar to the music industry you know but these patterns just repeat themselves and um 
you know, um, 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 the music industry, taxi industry, transport industry. Um, it's hard when you're onto a good thing to see the future coming and people get bitten the, the whole time. Anyway, that's, that's Uber. Let us know what you think of Uber. Go to itsamonkey.com. Many of you don't know that you can comment on the podcasts there and um, we can get some discussions going. What do you think of Uber? Do you think it's a good thing, bad thing, dangerous thing? Do you use Uber where you're at? I use Uber all over the world, uh, UberX, um, Uber, um, sometimes even the, the, the black cabs. Um, Sydney, we're pretty lucky, though. There's a lot of cabs everywhere, so sometimes it just use the normal cabs. Let, let us know what you think of Uber. Anyway, uh, yeah, uh, uh, sort of a semi-milestone this week as well, James. Second news story, we'll chat about uh, Instagram. Instagram's number of active users passes Twitter's number of actors, active users. Um, quite, a, quite a sort of important crossover point, that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I was definitely surprised to to, to see that. Um, but um, yeah, no, it's amazing how well they're doing. Um, and I think it's this you know great strategy that Facebook has with their acquisitions, which is basically just to just to not touch them, <laughs> which you know which they've basically done in, in Instagram's case. It's really paying off. You know that um, that growth has continued, and um, and yeah, they're doing really well. So they've hit um, three hundred million users and uh, active monthly users twitter apparently has got about 280 active monthly users um jack dorsey of course the creator of twitter famously tried to buy instagram um i think he really wanted it um and for whatever reason um kevin sistrom and his co-founder went to facebook instead and surprise surprise as soon as soon afterwards um twitter pulled some of their integration away from from instagram which instagram you used to get nice inline photos onto twitter and then they pulled that so you don't get any uh, inline photos on instagram so now if you post on instagram on twitter via instagram you get a a link um which is uh not as nice so i think jack dorsey really um was disappointed that uh, lost out on on instagram and um We'll post an article, to, uh, uh, a link to an, an interview on the Wall Street Journal with Kevin Systrom, the CEO and, and co-founder of um, Instagram, where he says we can't be just a hedge for Facebook. So they want to be successful in their own right. Um, clearly very smart folk. Uh, Facebook, fantastic acquisition on Facebook, uh, by Facebook. Um, interesting, they rolled out ads about six months ago. I saw my first ad on Instagram a couple of months ago, James, and what I was disappointed about was their targeting was so, so poor considering they Facebooked, you know, millions of data points and the ad that was sent to me was a McDonald's ad. Now, anyone who knows anything about me <laughs> just knows that for a variety of reasons, it's just the wrong target market. So unless they just was experimenting and just didn't care and just, you know, just it was the early days. I haven't seen, I, since then, I haven't seen an ad on Instagram, but I'm not a massive Instagram user. And I do think if there is one social platform that does have the potential to really usurp Twitter, um, it's it's uh, Instagram. Facebook's something very different mm. still, you know. But Instagram is is that sort of real time network, um, you you know, aggregating a bit of content, bit of celebrity, bit of news, um, quite compelling. So uh, it's it's to me that's you know Instagram's always had the the biggest overlap um, on Twitter. What do you think about the Instagram versus Twitter scenario? 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it's funny now that that they they kind of are at Twitter's numbers. Um, I mean, maybe you know the Twitter, Twitter blocking them, not putting the Instagram cards in there. You know, maybe that's actually going to start hurting Twitter. I mean, obviously, the reason why they did what did that was to attempt to kind of um, you know slow down um, Instagram's growth, um, so they couldn't you know leverage Twitter's audience. Um, but you know that that equation is probably going to be going the other way at this point. If um, if the usage is so high in Instagram, it um, it kind of devalues um, Twitter if if you can't sort of provide the best experience possible. Because um, in some ways, you know, I think Instagram is is as you said, it's much more similar to Twitter than it is to Facebook. Um, and the two platforms are almost complementary to each other. Um, and so to, to continue on with this kind of like childish, childish, um, you know, blocking of it, I think it's disservicing, you know, both of them. Twitter at this point, uh, which is which is kind of funny. Um, and yeah, definitely if they if um, you know if Instagram keeps it going the way it is, it definitely has the ability to, um, um, you know, become the new Twitter. I had a thought yesterday when I was reading this article. I mean, what are the what's the possibility that uh, you know Facebook lands up buying Twitter one day? That would be a that would be a scary world. And and why I say mm-hmm. that, you know, not because I mean, you know, I'm I'm a tiny shareholder of Facebook and a tiny shareholder of Twitter, so I want I want them all to be successful. But I think I think the um, the competition in this space is incredibly important. And one of the developers on Google Plus um, wrote an article last week about why he's so angry. He's not a developer there anymore at Google Plus, but he's um, Chris Messina, I think his name, um, wrote a very good article about Google Plus and why he's frustrated and angry that Google hasn't um, evolved this product correctly and, and they've got so much potential. And he basically says that the fact that you know, Facebook's essentially winning this game is not a good thing. There needs to be competition. There needs to, you know, be not one player in it. So um, I definitely don't think it would be a, a good thing if, if, if Twitter, you know, for whatever reason gets usurped and, and Facebook, um, you know, lands up being a good good deal for Twitter shareholders and uh, a good strategic d- decision for Facebook. That really wouldn't be good. Yeah, I mean, onto the Google Plus thing. I think it's, it just shows, you know, it doesn't matter how much money or how many resources you have, you just you just can't force something like this onto people. Um, you know, you can't force a social network. You can't, you know, you can't um, make them, you know, want to use your tools in a certain way. You kind of have to sort of put what you have out there and just watch how people use it and just adapt to that. Um, which is why I think you know Facebook's strategy of these these kind of acquisitions, um, you know, is, is so much more successful than the way most companies do acquisitions, which is you know to to bring them in and sort of make them part of something and you know impose some sort of vision on them. Whereas Facebook, you know, um, you know they just see things as successful and just sort of you know bring them on board to sort of make them part of the the larger ecosystem, but without actually sort of touching the core product. Um, I mean, it's interesting in that interview. Um, that you're talking about with Instagram's, um, was it the CEO? Kevin Systrom, yeah. Yeah, was that, um, you know, it mentions in there that most people who use Instagram don't even realize that it's part of Facebook, um, you know, which is which makes a lot of sense. You know, why, why, why should they put that branding on there? Well, they don't need to. Um, you know, even when you, I actually went and looked at their website and there's literally nothing on there that I could see about Facebook. There's nothing in the footer, even the About Us pages. I couldn't find anything. Um, I'm, I'm sure there's something in there you know, in terms of service and stuff, but um, it's definitely not something they advertise. Um, and, yeah, I just think it's a really interesting, smart move by them. Yeah, I think um, 
Yeah. And it means they don't have to worry either. Like Facebook doesn't have to worry about, you know, this whole social media, like, you know, do we have to compete directly with this product type thing? Like, you know, it's, it's not their problem anymore. They can keep doing what they do well and, um, and just leave this acquisition to run by itself. Well, I think, I mean, you know, the, at the, the stage of purchase of uh, WhatsApp and Instagram, they were so successful and the velocity of uh, all their numbers were, were just so incredible. You're almost on a logical level, you know, you think, well, nothing's broken here. In fact, things are really, really exceptional, i.e., what we, should we do? Zero, you know. And I think maybe there's something, there's, a, there's some sort of, I wouldn't say an ego issue, but a... a um, you know, there was a famous research paper that I that we studied in uni about um, CEOs of public companies that um, they found that most CEOs, um, you know, manage their company for growth and not for profit, you know. And similar type of story with these acquisitions, you know, I guess it's it, there's a temptation to integrate it and get synergies and, you know, and, 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 and do, you know, share your DNA and your vision and... Um, you know, Mark Zuckerberg and and his and his um, advisors there definitely have. Uh, they almost like um, they've taken a lot of the learnings from the failures, and they've and and they've really made successes. I mean, Twitter's had one successful acquisition or or a couple, but I mean, probably one of the best known um, one, Vine. And I believe the metrics. I believe the metrics on Vine are are huge. Uh, I think they. You know, absolutely massive, which surprises me because I don't really know anyone really into Vine or that uses that platform. Hugely, Vine, of course, is a platform for uh, it's, a, it's sort of like Instagram for video, in a way. Um, do you use Vine much or do you see much on Vine, James? Um, I used to use it a little bit. Um, I mean, I see it in my stream a little bit, and I see like some popular stuff coming out of it. Um, ironically, all the most popular stuff I see from Vine is on YouTube <laughs> because what people tend to do is they, they kind of take like people who post lots of stuff on Vine and they kind of create sort of compilations of them and then that stuff gets, you know, viral and, um, and popular. Um, so yeah, ironically, I actually very, very rarely watch stuff, watch Vine videos on Vine. Most of the time I see it on, on YouTube. And you, YouTube announced that they're rolling out offline YouTube in three countries, Philippines, uh, I'm not sure where else. I haven't read the full story, but I just popped. I saw the headline. Anyway, maybe in the maybe in the next podcast we'll we'll chat about offline YouTube. But um, anyway, that's Instagram. Are you are you on Instagram? Uh, yeah, in theory, I've got an account. I used to use it quite a bit for like a year when it first came out, but haven't touched it in in ages. I saw somebody add me the other day. I got like a notification, <laughs> um, but that was the first interaction with it in years. So probably about a year anyway. Yeah, I think Instagram and Pinterest. Um, I think next year is going to be the year of, of Instagram and Pinterest. I've, I've noticed a lot of you know bubbling up about around Instagram and Pinterest. Twitter. It's going to be interesting to see what what happens with Twitter. Um, you know, um, there's they, a lot of talk about their onboarding challenges and, and their user growth numbers, but it's still the dominant real-time network. Still my favorite social media network, but um, I'm, I'm curious I'm curious to see what's, 
what what happens um, what happens next year. Anyway, that's that's a couple of the news stories. A little bit longer than I'd hope, um, but let's take a short break. We're going to be coming back with an interview with Mark Drasutis, who's the head of innovation at News Corp Australia. News Corp Australia own Wall Street Journal. They own the Australian newspaper. They own the Daily Telegraph. Um, they own news.com.au. And uh, I had a chat to him about the future of the news industry. So stay with us and we'll be back after the short break. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by CheckDog. Use CheckDog to easily review and monitor your website for spelling errors, broken links, and broken images, all with the push of one button. CheckDog can also automatically monitor your website and notify you of newly introduced spelling errors. Go to checkdog.com forward slash podcast to receive 50% off your first month subscription. Checkdog.com, helping the world's leading websites keep their content error-free. You're back with the It's a Monkey podcast coming to you live from beautiful sunny Sydney, Australia. You're listening to episode number 52 and I have a treat in that we usually do interviews over Skype and people all over the world, but uh, we actually got a great in-studio interview um, today. I'm happy to welcome into the It's a Monkey podcast custom-built um, top-of-the-range studio in downtown Sydney, Australia. Mark Drasutis, who's Head of Innovation at News Corp Australia. Mark, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to be here. First, a head of, head of innovation. Um, innovation is obviously one of these words that everyone loves. No one, uh, we, we, we like to think we know what it means. Um, tell us a little bit about what is the head of innovation at News Corp Australia? What's your brief? What's your role? Uh, you, it's you a know, good question. How do, how do you add value to the organization there? It's a good question. Everyone asks me that question as soon as they see my title. Um, and the title didn't exist in News Corp Australia two years ago, which kind of showcases kind of how we're changing the way the business works. Um, and when I join News, um, I come from a background of digital through and through or digital media, starting in The Economist and EMAP and Yahoo and AOL. Um, I kind of asked exactly the same question. What does innovation mean at News? And there wasn't really a coherent answer. So developed this concept of what innovation means at a news organization in 2014, which isn't traditionally as you look at innovation, everyone looks at innovation as this world of new developments and things that are outside of the thinking and futuristic connected cities connected cars connected everything connected people um when actually um we needed to come up with a definition that allowed the business to hook itself around the whole business to think about what innovation meant um so we've come up with this concept of recombining content parts people in new ways for new outcomes and growth which kind of is that open internet open innovation and the um the combinational innovation approach to things, which is literally like, you've got all the assets you need. And when you think about News Corp Australia, and you think about News Corp globally, the amount of content and assets that we cover across topics and interests from local papers here in Australia through to Wall Street Journal, through to Fox Sports, through to Fox News. You kind of go, if I broke all those into, atomized that into all its parts and recombined it for a consumer on their digital device, how powerful would that be? And that's kind of what we're working towards. So it's about recombining parts. And innovation is about, actually it's not a singular activity, it's a bit of a team sport. I have the loneliest job because I'm the innovator pushing my big rock up a hill because ultimately trying to change the way a business that's been really ingrained in the way it operates, changing the way that it does operate. But ultimately, um, innovation means different things in different industries. And 
we're looking at it in a world that actually is we need to understand our customers if we understand our customers we have customer centricity you look at innovation from apple you look at innovation from anywhere you look at what um, Elon musk is doing in relation to batteries and, def- and redefining that world but also the electric cars you know henry ford had an electric car Benz had an electric car but they could make it work but actually the right time the right idea the right execution innovation equals that has to be relevant to the consumer so we're thinking about our consumers in a way that says how can we recombine the great content the news um the things they care about the things that comes and taps them on the shoulder a great little phrase around at the moment is literally like you need to be the business that tells you what's going on around you and taps you on the shoulder for things that you need to know about and that's kind of where we're trying to thread innovation through the business so I mean, I agree with you. Everyone focuses on the disruptive innovation, the yep. seismic shifts. Not but the sustainable I, side, exactly. Yeah. And and innovation often can be incremental and exactly can be right. and can be the tweaks. I often think um, uh, of the metaphor of when you see a sli- uh, a fly um, buzzing against a window, and just half a centimeter to the right or half a centimeter to the left, the fly can actually fly out, and yeah. all and all their problems are solved. Exactly. <laughs> but they're pushing with all their mind forward. Um, <laughs> And um, yeah, I mean, I mean, does anyone still does anyone still buy newspapers? Of course, News Corp is uh, you know the Australian, which is famously, yep. um, you know, Rupert Murdoch uh, has has I believe, y- you know, taken that over the years as a little bit of a loss leader. Um, the Daily mm-hmm. Telegraph, Sun Herald. Yep. Um, do people still buy newspapers? Yeah, they do indeed, and people still buy newspapers, and they consume them in different ways, though. And that's the interesting dynamic. So the highest circulation papers we have are the weekend papers which involves that lean back. I want to understand the world around me a little bit more. They're not using them for how they used to be done. So they're not using newspapers anymore for the job to be done, which is to be informed of the news that's going on around them. You know, from the Stone Age where people used to tell stories, then in printing press, then meant it went on print. Now it's moved to a world of digital. So they're not buying newspapers to actually give them informed of breaking news or news that they care about at that moment in time. But people are buying newspapers on a regular basis. We have a large subscriber base for our papers. And in the UK, if you look at the example there today, the announcement uh, yesterday of the fact that actually the Times and the Sunday Times are now profitable newspapers in the, U- in the UK based on a subscription model, which is driven by the Sunday Times. And so this lean back st- experience for paper. And also um, that they're able to get the background to the news that's happening around them so they're kind of the full threaded story around actually we we saw in australia there was a baby found down a um un- unfortunately down a, um, a, a drain but the newspaper gives them the background to that the interview with the with the couple who found it the kind of understanding of what happened next to the the, the lady who basically unfortunately um disposed of the baby there so the newspaper provides that kind of best of view and people still buy a paper the tactility of the paper the ability to have that and then share that so um we have a range of papers at different levels but the subscription model and the paywall model actually works because people will subscribe will pay for content if it's the most relevant content to them and it informs them and and gives them an understanding of what's going on around them so you you guys have a paywall on the australian um wall street journal which Mm -hmm. by the way well i'm i mean for for the record i'm a newspaper junkie i always have been yep um, in Australia, I wish we could get the new the Wall Street Journal because when I'm in the States, I, I love it on yep. a day-to-day basis. Um, I'm a huge fan of a um, competitor of yours, New York Times, Weekend New York Times, yep. fantastic Financial exactly. Times, which you can get in Australia, yep. the British Financial yep. Times. 
fantastic newspaper. And yeah, I do buy all of these newspapers mm-hmm. on the weekend. But you guys have a paywall on the Australian yep. in Australia. So we have a pre- different model. So we have a paywall model, a breach paywall model on our, our masthead, our kind of tabloid um, state-based papers. Right. And we have a, f- a freemium model. So we have a paywall in relation to premium content and subscription content only uh, on the Australian. Yeah. Isn't having a paywall on general news r- a really tough sell? I would agree entirely. It's a very tough sell on general news. And if you look at how we actually are using the data from our consumers and how they consume content, if you look at what's there on the Australian, it's more the opinion pieces, the actual people that they want to listen to and understand and and uh, who are guiding the backgrounds to the stories that are the things that are premium. The the breaking news is, not, is a commodity. It's not something you can actually paywall, but you can actually generate... Um, a revenue model and a subscription model of the actual rounding of the news. The sport, as a good example, is sport. Sport is one of those subjects where basically people are very passionate about it, um, but they want to know the background for their team. They want to know the understanding of what's going on around that, and that's where you know they will pay for that content because ultimately they're so passionate about it, they will then be able to then have open access to it all and, and move forward for it. But, but I agree with you, breaking, monetizing breaking news it's a very hard task, and monetizing the future of news is a very, very hard task. When you look at a live breaking news scenario, that breaks on Twitter now. That breaks on Twitter, and it breaks on Facebook, and then it moves, and then we have 80% of our consumers in digital that come in sideways, which equals they come from social or they come from search. And that's a challenge because they're coming into an article specifically around a specific feature. So we have to work out, and we're learning, and paywalls haven't been in existence for a long time, we were talking before before this about maturity of industry. It's not a mature industry. We're learning as we go along in relation to tuning and fine tuning what works and what doesn't. Um, but this sideways metaphor for customers means that we need to create a sideways journey for these consumers, and they need to understand their passions. And then, then people will pay for content. It's just how you package it in the right way that shows value to them. And I think that's that's the challenge we have. Isn't there also a technical challenge in that these paywalls can be circumvented quite easily through the right Google searches, inco- incognito yeah, modes? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, I, I always, <coughs> I always, you know, as a as an entrepreneur <laughs> that has a freemium model, I always feel a little bit, dare I say it, a little, a little bit sorry for you guys when I can just, you know, see a business model that can just be sidestepped through incognito yeah, mode. Yeah, agreed. Uh, and I don't want to give people ideas because I think I think you know it's worthwhile paying for um, paying for things of value. But I but wow, that's a that's a tough one. To it's get a tough. Over. It's a tough. It's a tough gig, and it's a continual continual technical challenge to understand exactly that. You know, the, the basically like when you look at the user base and how they consume the content, and the fact that they will, it's such an open world. Sharing sharing the fact that you've got round a paywall by by deleting the cookies on your browser or changing your browser or going to incognito mode, is you know. Someone just says that to someone else. Now, the interesting dynamic is we do a lot of research. We own news poll and we have do a lot of research in the market of understanding how our consumers every week are, whether we're doing the right things or whether we're understanding those consumers correctly. Um, lots of people say they do that, but actually, do they do that? I don't know. They know they, they're quite, they sound clever because they know how to do it. And it's a challenge to work out how you can lock that. Now, things like um, Apple Pay and things like the I, Touch ID will help those models because ultimately there is no way around it. When I look at a mobile device, um, I look at an app and I go actually, uh, the Daily Telegraph and the Herald Sun and the uh, Courier Mail apps we've just launched in the App Store, those are getting huge engagement and they're getting huge huge usage from our existing subscriber base. And 
Also, it's driving new subscribers because they want that experience on their tablet. And if you the experience is right and the content is right and it's so valuable to you and it gives meaning to your life, then you'll try and circumvent it, but there's bins and ways that we could work out of how we can actually lock it down a little tougher. And I look at the UK as a good example in, in the News, News Corp family where the Sun is a very hard paywall and the Times is a very hard paywall, but they're actually both really successful, profitable businesses now because ultimately people will pay for that content and there's no way of circumventing it. But yes, you're right, it is a technical challenge. It's, it, my job is half technology, half culture change, half um, new innovation and new thinking. And the technology part of my role is continually looking at kind of well, how there is, there is very, very little we can do about those exact scenarios. So we just have to live with them. We just have to make the va most valuable content. And another another um, challenge that you guys are up against are people like me who are, I'm a content consuming junkie. Yep. And when sometimes when I hit up against a paywall, when say a, a site lets me look at 10 articles a day or a month or whatever, I actually find that as a good self-limiting tool yeah, where yeah. I'm like, okay, that's um, enough. That, that's <laughs> enough. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm I'm not going to subscribe mainly because I, you know, there's a there's a limit to the amount of yeah, content yeah, yeah, that yeah. that I need to consume. But um, so we'll, we'll, we'll as I said, we're we're learning as we we're learning. We're basically we're taking we, we we've just put in place a whole um, um, set of changes in principles and cultures in in News Corp Australia where we're using design thinking and lean principles and lean methodologies um, and doing the kind of learn measure or test, learn, measure, test, learn, measure, test, learn, measure, and literally like, um, test, measure, learn, sorry. And, um, but ultimately we take that approach with how we're looking at that breach. So you're right, the breach is inconsistent. So the breach needs to be consistent. If the breach is consistent, then you know, and you're basically you're right, you shape a behavior. I've got five articles, I've had my five articles, I'm never, no longer gonna go for the sixth because ultimately the sixth is what we need to do. So we, we're working on ways we can work within the bounds of the content and what's relevant to the consumer and it may be harder on sport than it is on news, which makes sense because ultimately then you're going to be paying for that content and you know and it doesn't change. And the one thing that's really difficult um, to get through in relation to a news business is they put they put a new we put a new product out every day, in theory, a new newspaper every day. So the ability to change a pricing model is really quite easy. It's like, you know, you could just change a different thing and do a little doubt and put an insert in it or do a different thing every day. Now, in digital, that's quite hard because you're creating behaviors, you're creating habits. It's kind of habit forming. It's like a trigger action reward and um, investment. And then you, you do the, that cycle. And um, we can't just change it off to your point of like, you go to some content in Australia and it's premium and then you go back the next day and it's not. It's like, that's just weird. You need to be consistent and you need to back the model and the model over time will pay out. And that's what we're finding in the UK with the Times and the Sunday Times. The model is now starting to pay out. So of it'll be the, interesting the times. The, the UK, of course, has got a, a much stronger culture of oh, um, yes. recognizing quality content. Yep. I mean, there, there's the, I saw an analysis of, you know, America is really great at building platforms mm -hmm. and the UK is really great at content. Yep. And of course, we've, we've been in a platform era where... Facebook and Twitter, and then they've reaped all the rewards, but the content has almost, and this, I guess, has played into a little bit of uh, Rupert Murdoch's argument yep. of, um, you know, Google's been benefiting from all this content, and yep. um, the content 
creators have been uh, really haven't reaped the reward mm. that they should have. There's a just there's a there's an asymmetry happening. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's interesting when you look at the Australian market. You're right. It's like when you look at the entrance in the Australian market, there's a definite thirst for Australian content from Australian brands about Australia. And I think there's this kind of spiral of content outflow by like local, metro, state, national, global. It might not be in that same order for everyone in Australia because of the diversity of the population. So it's quite an interesting challenge in Australia to have this diverse population that wants different types of things at different times. So people care about Asian news because their family's in Asia or their com family comes from Asia. So it's an interesting challenge we have. And I think the strength of that content model, uh, Ben Townsend had a model, the, the kind of smiling curve, which is like when you look at what Apple, the Apple iPhone, the person that gets the most value out of that is actually the person that makes the new camera on the iPhone 6 which is uh, Langent Technologies, because they basically have an amazing camera. And the, the camera is actually a commodity. The distribution side is no longer their business. It's like they're making a lot of money from just making one thing, which is the camera. And if I look at old news business models, which is they want to own all three pieces of the business model, the content generation, the packaging of that content, and the distribution of that content, that's disrupted. And to your point of disruption, that's the where the disruption has happened. You can't own all three anymore. You need to acknowledge that you're not going to own the distribution of your content because Google and Facebook and Twitter is where most of the consumers are coming from. You're not going to own the channel. You're not going to own the device. So you need to think about where you play. And where you play is, to your point, amazing content. And we see this every day in relation to our rock star journalists and editors. People basically will discuss and drive and own the conversation around a specific subject triggered by a great piece of content so you've got to really focus on the content and you've got to really focus on then packaging that content in the right form for the consumer so it might be on a mobile phone it might just be a notification it might be an email it might be a video that's on youtube it might be a video that's basically on instagram it might be something that's basically across all the social networks you, your content has to be created and curated in the form that works for those platforms. And that's kind of where the disruption is in the news industry. I think to your point of like, yes, Google has gen generated, has benefited off our content, but we need to appreciate that and understand that's not going anywhere. That's going to be the distribution side of the business. But if you find great content and you're number one in the list on the search, then you're more likely to go there every time. I was just talking to someone just before I came here around um, MH17 and literally LA Times was the first thing that was notified on his phone. So he clicked on that, and then all of a sudden his journey of information around MH17 was through the LA Times. That's the reality of life today. So <coughs> you just have to make sure you're there at the right time with the right content on the right device. And that's what the challenge is in news. One question I've always wanted to ask, um, um, you know, traditional news companies like, yeah. like news, etc. Conferences, why, why don't you folk get into conferences? I mean, the blogs have, have made a lot of money. You take TechCrunch, for instance, mm -hmm. um, and you know the technology side of Wall Street Journal, I guess, has mm -hmm. done done a conference in the past, and they've spun that out into their own yep. blog recode. But uh, I've always wondered why. Okay, news is news corp. It's a, it's a more generalist news project proj uh, product, but there's hyper local. There's a lot of credibility in the brand. Yep. I almost would think about you know um, a Sydney thinking conference or a Sydney cultural conference or a Sydney political con wh whatever it is. Yep. With News Corp, people are comfortable paying for events and for conferences a lot more Correct. than they're than they paying for content. And Correct. you leverage that brand 
and conferences, TechCrunch makes a lot of money from their oh, conferences. Yeah. Oh, I'm with you 100%. And it's not like you're looking through my head and seeing a business <laughs> plan. But there is there are plans in, in place to basically do more events and conferences. Uh, so if you look at the Australian and what we do with Eureka Report and Alan Kohler and those guys, there's basically a lot more. Um, we do a lot of events and conferences with those businesses for C-suites and, and on various transformations of businesses or how we're actually seeing... Um, changes in um, dynamics in politics agreed we we are we are we're putting things in place now that also adds into the rewards scheme that we have so if you're if you're a subscriber of any of the mastheads you get a reward rewards now and one of the rewards is to go to a town hall with and discuss specific topics as a cohort and as a tribe are interested in a specific area with the daily telegraph now that's a step in that direction and we'll test for that we'll understand it and we'll move it but I think you'll find that also you have to remember that um, news life media brands are in the news portfolio. So, you know, we look at GQ Man of the Year, we look at the Vogue Night Out, all of those events could be, you're right, extrapolated out to the Daily Telegraph, to the Courier Mail, to the Herald Sun. So uh, I think watch this space might be uh, something I can do there. But the Australian does some of these today. Yeah, yeah I, w I, I agree with you. I agree with you. I think it's one of those areas where we need to basically engage the reader base more but also engage consumers around inter interesting politics. There isn't enough debate, really, in Australia. I look at uh, TV and I look across most medias, and I've only been here two years, but I look at my wife's Australian, and she's kind of just, there isn't any real place to have this discussion. Your point of like the open forum on the TEDx of X, X, X exactly subject right. should be run from a new, from News Corp. And I agree entirely. We, we are looking at doing things in place for that, yeah. I mean, a, a weekly town hall debate before work, after work, during work, you know, people paying 50 bucks a pop, so, so. etc. Et um, so, yeah, yeah, events is where we, we have a we have a team that obviously have expertise in news life media in our business, but we have a team obviously in the Australian looks, looks at that as well. That's going to be extrapolated out to other areas. So watch this space is what I say on that. Great. Maybe <laughs> I should buy. Uh, maybe I should buy some shares. Um, <laughs> the other question, that, the other question that I had for you, physical devices. I mean, I, I'm a lover of. You know, my sister used to say, um, you know, that I that I excrete newspapers wherever I go. There's piles of newspapers yeah, because yeah, I've been such yeah. a newspaper junkie. I, I, was I, same, I, I love the the physical newspaper form, yeah. but um, you know, I've got a Kindle as well, and I actually read some of the newspapers. Their Kindle edition, mm -hmm. um, the Financial Times in the UK and the New York Times in the US. Um, are you guys sort of exploring any physical forms? What I would love is a Kindle or a newspaper that's that is a book or is a newspaper but is digital and waterproof yep. and scalable and i mean this I, I would imagine there's still lots of value left on the table in terms of creating a better device that that takes the best of all the world well there, there is there is i think i think there's um there's a big question in relation to where you want to play when your brand has permission to play and where you can actually go and I know there was work underway to basically before I joined news to look at exactly what you said, like a physical device that was basically rendering the News Corp suite of family of products on this specific device. And but it's a, I think it's more a look at it the other way in relation to the evolution of the paper. So if you look at the evolution of the paper, the physical paper, there's a, there's a, there's a definitely something there in relation to like how that evolves to become something that's a little bit more interactive. And um, one of the uh, one of the guys we do connections with Fishburners. Uh, so we're a sponsor of Fishburners down in Ultima here in Sydney. And um, one of the businesses in there, one of the guys in the business, so what cost is the business? An amazing business of tracking your electricity usage. 
And the guy, one of the founders of Whatcost, actually is the guy who owns the e-ink patent. So we would, I've been talking to him in relation to like, what does this mean and where did that go? And to your point, there should be a physical device that allows you to really do, does allow you to download what you're looking for and just take it with you. But it probably is, weirdly, in the form of a paper mm. because that still has real point resonance with people. It has real resonance, resonance and, uh, and, and emotion and it creates a certain... You know, it creates a certain mode in someone's brain in relation to like how they actually interact with it and how they actually work with it. Whereas if you had a Kindle, it's very much you're like, I think I agree with you. It's like a book versus a Kindle, different experience. If you talk to the guys at Harper Collins down the road here in Elizabeth Street, obviously a news court business, they're kind of in the same scenario of like they, they just see a huge peak in book sales, and they see eBooks taking o- over some of that. But it's not cannibalizing their business. It's just additional to the business. Mm. People buy both in weird shape or form. Um, so I do think there is a desire to get into that physical form it's just got to be in the physical form nowadays when you look at the world of this is a samsung versus apple challenge it's got to be such a beautiful device and got to be so intuitive that you really need to have a whole product design and a whole physical design business within your business so we haven't acquired one of those i'm not sure whether we will or not i'm not saying but ultimately we need to create you know you can't just create physical product in a way that you normally produce a digital product or a virtual product. It's not really the same metaphor. So we're not in the business of creating sure. those electronics today, but who says we're not going to be? But I do think there's a there's a conversation around what the evolution of paper is because mm. there's definitely something there. It kind of got lost. It was like it was the big buzzword like ten years ago of like this e ink and plugging in your or downloading passively the content as you were moving mm. onto e ink paper or onto paper. And it kind of got lost, but it exists still, and it exists still. And when you think about the Apple Watch and wearable devices being a slave of the phone, the mobile being that kind of hub of all of your activities and all of your connectivity, then why can't a piece of paper be that connection? So why don't you have a piece of paper that is continually with you, folded up, that works as your Apple Watch does on on your device? Good thing to look into. That's kind of my role is to start asking those questions, going, why and is there a better way? <laughs> and, and what about what about hyperlocal as well? Australia, oh yeah. Australia is, um, you know, it's got a lot of, lot of small little towns that have very mm-hmm. tight communities. I mean, that's that that's one area of niche content that I would imagine um, is very difficult for the internet, um, you know, generalized news to compete with. And you, you, and News Corp has traditionally been quite strong in hyperlocal. Yep, very strong in hyperlocal, and also very strong in building communities or bonding communities through the local papers. So we got what 140 local papers around Australia, uh, the biggest uh, coverage of the whole of rural Australia through to Metro Australia. Correct, and. I look at that and we had discussion around connectivity in relation to the, the challenge there is still connectivity in some shape or form. But the mobile connectivity is such as is greater across the whole of Australia when you look at actually we could allow people to contribute in their local area. Because ultimately the community should be writing for the community. I think that's the model. I think Patch had the right approach, just didn't have the right time to right, right execution. Um, that was the AOL product. The AOL right? product, yeah. Does that, uh, that got shut it's down? It got shut down. It got right. shut down. But when you look at a business like Nextdoor, dot com mm-hmm. which is the facebook for your local area or your kind of your area your three roads that's the australian one so that's the us US one but nabo right. has just launched nabo.com.au yeah, is basically that. just launched here um which is a similar model to manly social which is a similar model to various people have tried it before but 
I think there's definitely the appetite now for that model of your local social network because Facebook exit happens, it's happening, and people are fragmenting off into other networks and they, they drift into three type of networks. They drift into local ones, they drift into ones relevant to their age, and they lift into ones relevant to their interests. So the age one is like starts at 60.com.au, which is great business, which basically allows you to, for older generation, the baby boomer generation of Australia, which we know is massive. But the local one is quite interesting, the hyper-local one of like people around your local area and knowing when there's a water leak in the two roads away from you is really quite important. And that's been the, that's been the stable of local papers for News Corp Australia for years. And it's not to say that we won't be in that digital space as well. But I think you're right. It's a huge, huge, huge market in relation to monetization. And again, to this point of like, what, would you, what content would you pay for? Well, you'd actually probably pay for something $2 to know that the the mains leaked outside your house. Absolutely, that's real. Got real. That's yeah. got real value. There's a little uh, little phrase we were we were just bouncing around yesterday of like, if you don't add value, then go away. Because ultimately, if you don't add value to someone's life, then you're never going to have any payment. So even that notification is a value to you. And let's put a monetize monetize value on it, or just give it to you as News Corp's adding value to your life in your local area. So, yeah, I agree. Hyperlocal is one where it's passionate. I, it's one of my passions because I've always looked at it and gone, I tried, went sport all the years and years ago, tried to nail local sports that grew out of grassroots. And one of the good, great acquisitions that News Corp made was Sporting Pulse, which is now um, Fox Sports Pulse, right. which is those local sports teams and that hyperlocal around your kids' sports team that then just gravitates out to if I live in. Um, if I live in Broome or live in, in Scone or wherever, then I should be able to find a local network for the five areas around me, and that should be more digital now than it is local paper. And I should be able to contribute to that, and I should be able to add to the community. And I think there's huge value in that. Yeah. And what's uh, News Corp? You guys are involved with some of the startup um, activities. You mentioned Fishbone, yep. which is a um, it's like an incubator. It's like a co- it's a co-creation space um, here in Sydney, and um, it's got ninety businesses within it. And it's where founders go to join uh, to meet other founders, but also to be incubated as a business. And it allows them to have. Um, it's interesting because the businesses evolve within that within Fishburners. So uh, two of the businesses, uh, let's take GoFile as example, and uh, What Cost. But what cost dot um, com is basically they they met in Fishburners. They were doing three different businesses themselves. They came together to do one business. So Fishburners is a great um, a great hub of creativity and startups within um, Sydney, Sydney and Australia. And as News Corp, uh, we need to have better connection with the digital ecosystem. And when I joined, it wasn't really a good connection. We now need to have a better connection to that digital ecosystem and that founder space and that startup space. And it's open innovation again. It's looking outside your business and saying, actually, the guy that's working on um, services for cars is in the autos category. So let's work with that guy to make sure that he gets the distribution and utilizes the, the business skills that we have, which we have sales and marketing and you know legal and even finance, and help these businesses to grow. And we grow and they grow. That's mutual benefit. So that's kind of what we're doing with Fishburners. Um, and also we're looking to do the same thing in Melbourne and the same thing in Brisbane. So we're talking to Steve Baxter and River City Labs around Brisbane as well. So actually supporting the startup community. It's kind of like the triptych of uh, Alfred Optus uh, and, and Peter Optus uh, and Alan at uh, Google for Entrepreneurs and ourselves are working into a world of like we need to really support the startup ecosystem because that's the next industry 
of Australia in some shape or form. You look at what Mike Cannon Brooks has done with Atlassian. Where's the next one? We need to. There's no unicorns going to come from just one one bet. You need to have 50 bets, and then two unicorns appear. So um, that's what we're doing with Fishburners. It's really exciting to be able to part be part of that. And um, we take the teams from News Corp to Fishburners, and we bring businesses for Fishburners into News Corp. Uh, and we run internal hackathons now, and we have a different startup approach to our businesses. And it just means that basically creating entrepreneurs, as I call it, from entrepreneurs, because we need to have that thinking in our business as a whole. And we can help those businesses by, you know, if we write about a business in the Australian, it's good PR for that business. Sure. Oh, I, uh, it would be great if um, you guys could, I mean, it's terrific. You guys are supporting the industry, having, you know, such big players like News, News Corp and Optus sort of catalyze and energize the industry. One thing I'm quite passionate about, and I think um, um, that Lassian guys are, are passionate about it too, is um, coding education in yeah, Australia. I agree. It's a real issue. I mean, uh, outside the door here, there's a, a, a young 16-year-old kid that's on work experience um, coding away there for a week. Um, and um, he says they do they do nothing. He's I got agree. a nephew that does nothing. I mean, it's... It's it's ludicrous that it is not high on the no. agenda. I agree. I agree entirely. I agree entirely in relation to that, like um, how we are generating a pipeline of digital thinkers, digital innovators, digital you know, evangelists, and digital, digital and basically just entrepreneurs and coders out of our schooling system. Because if you don't learn that, you're going to have to learn it somewhere in your career in the future. There's no way you're going to be able to exist Absolutely. without understanding that way of working and that way of operating. And I'm I sure, do think it's I'm um, sure even your journalists oh. tend to have th they need HTML understanding. Oh, they, they need basic. They need basic stuff, and we basically put them through courses. And we have uh, Neil Mann across from uh, Wall Street Journal at the moment, who's um, uh, one of the soap, uh, one of the best advocates for social um, social social journalism, but also. Um, how we utilize technology better in the newsrooms. And we're going through exactly what you said, like every team's going through this whole conversation around you need to understand how to make a video, you need to understand how to make a, a podcast or audio, you need to understand how to code, you need to understand how to do these things. Because ultimately, if you can't do that, then you're never going to be able to tell the story in the mm. right way for the right platforms. And I think education is, is key to that. You know, coding at schools is, it should, be it should be mandatory, it should be part of the curriculum. But also, it was quite interesting. We had the um, we took Rupert to Fishburners mm -hmm. last time it was here, and uh, and Alan and uh, the startup Oz basically pitched to Rupert what they wanted to see, and that might be one way we can influence and have the conversations because you know he was having a com having dinner with the education minister at the, uh, the afternoon of that, as you do if you're a senior leader of the of the business and you're Rupert Murdoch. But ultimately, it's like we need to through our papers as well. I think through our our journalism start having this conversation about are we are we creating a generation of the right shape for the future and it is and I that's mean, an interesting challenge and australia's been lucky with resources and china etc cetera, etc cetera, but we've got a lot of the good fundamentals of being a knowledge economy exactly but um yeah. we have to be a lot smarter yeah. about it um, it's got a huge opportunity in australia to be the knowledge economy for the future if it is education education needs to be the start and it takes we have we will we'll struggle trying to find talent in Australia for s some of the roles that we are trying yeah. to hire because ultimately there isn't there isn't the education in place to basically create this and General Assembly and talk to the guys at General Assembly they've got a rush on courses mm. and the reason why they've got a rush on courses is because people are wanting to uh, have a thirst to learn UX and code 
and product management and digital um, journalism and various things. So it's a, there's a thirst for it. It just needs to be part of the curriculum. Another business for you guys, coding camps for youngsters. Exactly right. In the in the you well, know the, guard, the, guardians, the guardians introducing uh, the journalism courses into Australia, so they're bringing their master classes in. We we are doing we're looking to do this similar thing. I mean, daily telly sponsored coding uh, <laughs> classes in the school holidays for the kiddies. Yeah. You know, all the mothers that I've spoken to, exactly. they they are all like, I want my kids to code. Exactly. So there's c- can you um, get us a podcast interview with Rupert Murdoch by any chance? Rupert, Rupert might be hard. Someone else from News Court maybe, but Rupert might be hard. He's a busy man. Yeah, <laughs> we all busy. Come on, I, I follow his tweets. He seems to. Oh, he's, yeah, you know, he we should keep him off Twitter. But the um, the uh, the that he's he's actually a very knowledgeable man in technology, and it's, it's really interesting when you when you meet him and uh, and when he comes to Australia, he he really gets entirely where the consumers are and he understands things. He really challenges all the guys in news to think a little differently about how they're doing things because obviously he has a challenge of making money from the business and he has his old sustainable model and a sustainable model in print and a sustainable model in content creation and delivering great storytelling. Um, and he's passionate about that, but he really understands the technology. He has a jawbone, for example, and he understands all Is that. Is that right? He, he Rupert wears a jawbone. Yep. So he's got a jawbone, and he basically uses that all the time for his and he uses his iPad. And you know, he was right. flying a drone the other day out of uh, back of uh, WSJD, and he he understands all this stuff and understands capabilities and connects all the dots in his head. So taking him to Fishburners was like for him. It was it was he's a, he was an entrepreneur. He was literally was he you forget he was an entrepreneur. Like he was basically trying to create monopolies and competitions and start newspapers and that's entrepreneur. So he's an entrepreneur at heart. So meeting the guys from Fishburners was really exciting for him because he was like loads of inventors and seeing different things and, inv- and seeing it coming from Australia for him is really important. So whether I'd be able to get him in for your podcast, I don't know, but we'll see what the cycle comes around. And you, you, you never know, we can use the jawbone angle. We'll use the jawbone you angle. Know, um, <laughs> look, I mean, he started with one little newspaper that he inherited in Adelaide, which is a yeah. you know a small little sleepy town that I actually really like. Yeah, lovely place. And I've been to the News Corp headquarters in Adelaide, yeah, actually. Yeah, we've got, a, we've got a, a good team down there as well. Yeah. I, went, I was down there the other month and we're talking to the margarine guys, majoring guys down there in relation to how we can help them and the startup industry in Australia, in uh, Adelaide and the WordPress groups and various things like that. So yeah. I love Adelaide. Yeah, so um, you know, he's he's obviously um, Rupert's obviously done something something right to build up such a such a stable of of amazing companies. Um, one one which must have hurt a little bit must have been MySpace. Um, but you win some, you lose some. Well, you look back on that now, and you kind of look at how Silicon Valley works, and it's all about you have to fail and learn. There's a fail and learn. I think they when you score paid <laughs> sixty. It was, it, was, it was a bubble at the time. Uh, to be honest, yeah. you wouldn't have got any business. I think if you had a conversation with Boo.com at the time, you would have got $60 million on it. So I think it's one of those where you go, actually... It seems cheap right, now, though, $60 there's, there's million. A thing in, there's, a thing in, uh, there's a thing in business. It's like idea, time, and execution. And the idea was right. The time was right. The execution just wasn't right yeah. in my space. And when you look at it and you go, okay, I look at Friendster, and I go, okay, did Mark Zuckerberg look at Friendster? Probably. And therefore, but the idea, time, and execution for Facebook was the right time, the right idea, and the right execution to go in and create a network. Whereas MySpace was very much, it tried too early, I think, to get to this commercialization model and tried to move it a little bit too too further. And you look at what my, my, my old stomping ground Yahoo's doing with Tumblr, it's quite good because they're leaving it on its own to do its own thing and start leading and leaking into the rest of the business, which is a good way of working because you need to change the culture of a business the key thing in your business is the culture. And if you can't change the culture of your business and think a different way, then buying MySpace and sticking it on a newspaper business is like, it's like, and you don't change the culture of the newspaper business, it's always going to be 
not as successful as it could be. It was bold of him at the time to oh, very bold to, to, very bold to take yeah. the leap, and exactly. uh, I guess I think it was sixty million. If I stand to be correct, sixty million dollars, I think, yeah, which absolutely. today compared to the compared to WhatsApp is twenty three billion for <laughs> <laughs> WhatsApp, and uh, exactly. but um, but again, it was a similar time. It's like a similar time. You look at that now, and you go WhatsApp. If you talk to anyone in communications, you talk to anyone in telcos, they want they want to build the other version of that. And it's like no, don't bother. It's too mm. late. It's and like the same bad. with YouTube. I mean, you, uh, you know, YouTube. Google paid whatever, three billion or whatever yeah. it was for YouTube, yeah. which the same thing. I mean, you know, hindsight's always easy, but the, the yeah, you know, guys like you would have benefited hugely from yeah, the benefit YouTube. Yeah, we benefit massively from YouTube because it means that the brand dollars move to video and we have a massive video business. <laughs> so therefore, it's a, it's a benefit. And YouTube's an interesting one because YouTube at that time, you know, YouTube would have gone out of business if it hadn't been bought because their bandwidth costs and storage costs were getting completely ridiculous based on their funding. It was just hemorrhaging money. Huge. So but it's, it's, it's just timing. It's like timing. But it's like when you look at it now, um, people at the time would have said, you know, oh, what the hell is Yahoo, is Google buying fucking YouTube for? And, and you kind of go, well, they obviously had a plan. And part of that plan was brand dollars will move to video. And it will be... And, and of course, so many of um, Google's acquisitions, or most of them, have fizzled into nothing. Yeah. And a lot of their own internal products, well, Buzz and, and Orchids, and, and, and um, you know, Mark, it's been great Good. chatting to you. I know Pleasure. we're well over time. Uh, Mark Rasutas, the head of innovation at News Corp Australia, um, really appreciate you coming in, and it's uh, we'll, we'll definitely follow with interest all the the, the goings ons and yep. um, next time bring Rupert around, and we'll he'll become my friend on the Jawbone Up app, and Perfect. I'll. I'll, I'll be able to comment on how many steps. <laughs> Excellent. You're fine. He does a lot of steps. He walks quicker than most people at News Corp. Great. Good. Thank Mark, you, Dan. Appreciate your time. Thanks for joining Pleasure. us on the podcast. Thanks, Dan. Bye-bye. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by Manage Flitter. Manage Flitter helps you to work smarter and faster on Twitter. With Manage Flitter, you can schedule tweets for appropriate times, gain insight into your Twitter connections, grow your Twitter account, and much more. Go to manageflitter.com for a free trial. You're back with Kevin Garber and James Peter, CEO of Manage Flitter, myself and James, co-founder um, and CTO of Manage Flitter. Um, leave a comment at itsamonkey.com. You can tweet us. Um, you can email us. If you want a shout-out, tweet us, email us, tell us who you are, what you do. We love giving shout-outs to our listeners wherever you are in the world. We publish this podcast every two weeks this is episode number 52 if you haven't listened to episode number 51 yet go back to episode number 51 we spoke with um, Eden uh, Full who's a a young entrepreneur and CEO um, super super smart uh, person you'll find it inspiring James newspapers um, wow I, I, I they they've They've had it tough. I'm not quite sure we should feel sorry for them, but um, definitely an, an industry that's, that's really has been struggling to find its new feet. Do they still print newspapers? <laughs> no, that's, that's cool. <laughs> uh, I, used to, I used to read newspapers a lot, actually, when I was younger. Um, like even on the train there, if they're really good. Um, I mean, I think these days, I think part of the problem is just that, that news consumption in general has changed. Like, I mean, people don't tend to go to, like, single authoritative sources. I think that's the, their real struggle. Um, you know, like, I know I tend to get most of my news through kind of, like, social avenues rather than, um, you know, more more editorial sources. 
Um, and yeah, and that's definitely, I think, the main struggle they're facing. But it's interesting all of the, the, the you know, digital strategies that they're bringing out and the, the different things they're trying. I mean, I think there's definitely huge, huge opportunity there. I mean, something's got to take, take that space eventually. Yeah, I agree. And look, there's always going to be there's always going to be room for long form good journalism, um, and um, y- you know some of the sites that uh, even Pando Daily and uh, what's the other one? Is it Quartz QZ? Um, you know mm. some some of them do some some really terrific long form journalism. I think <coughs> I think news you know news has become very very hard because of citizen journalism and. Um, people's expectation around the quality of news journalism is not necessarily that high so it just commoditizes and um, you know they're, they're classified businesses which were always um, the big big money spinners for these companies who have just been annihilated um, but yeah it's um, um, uh, it's what do you think about the angle of, of events which I've always felt that these big branded news companies are really missing opportunities by not having events which can be very profitable yeah definitely um, it's definitely an interesting angle I mean how do you, how would you envision something like that being marketed and, and working well I mean the, I mean you take like TechCrunch for instance you know they build whatever four events a year around their blog they make big big money on the TechCrunch conferences uh, millions mm-hmm. of dollars per conference um, so you could you could build you could build events in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, you know, quarterly, um, you, you know, um, conferences around the state of the city, the state of the country, um, political-based forums, um, festivals. You, you know, get get the who's who of and um, um, you know, I've been to a lot of different conferences and festivals and retreats, and and people pay for for good real life experiences it's something that humans really really crave and online until they get the virtual reality and the augmented reality and and all of that sorted out um you know online is still a a, a very flat experience it's still not really an experience um so you know you you can never compete a video is never going to compete with the buzz i mean you've been to south by southwest i mean i'm sure there was a i'm sure there was a a buzz in the air there that um, you know watching the South by Southwest videos just couldn't couldn't capture. Yeah, definitely. And there's something something to be said for that. Um, the the whole inclusive experience that you can only get by sort of physically going to something. Yeah, definitely makes sense. I mean, I think even sort of going back to back to serial, just mentioning that again. I, mean, I think part of its its success is that it's kind of this like. It's almost the kind of story that you would have read in, like, you know, the weekend magazine and a newspaper, like this deep investigative story that doesn't necessarily, like, have any distinct purpose or, or outcome. It's just, like, an exploration of the the environment and circumstances surrounding it. Um, I think part of the reason why it is so popular is that people just don't get this that much stuff these days. Like, it's almost unique to get that kind of... Um, you know, in-depth reporting in a way that's more consumable than something you have to sit down and read. Um, so, you know, I think maybe that that's actually sort of, you know, just a highlight of a sign that if, if people can produce this stuff in a fantastic way and in different new ways, then it will, it will still get read and it will still find a huge audience. Yeah, and that's a good point. I mean, these companies um, getting more into the podcast side of things um, and, and when you have tens of thousands of listeners, again, you can advertise and 
Um, so there, there, there are opportunities there, and it's good to see that News Corp is giving it a go, and they're also investing into the startup um, scene in Sydney, which is, which is fantastic. And, that, and they really quite are a remarkable company. I know a lot of people you know, are highly critical of um, um, you know, News Corp for a variety of reasons, and Rupert Murdoch, you, you tend to either love him or hate him. And um, Do you follow him on Twitter, James? Uh, no, not, um, not for any particular reason, but never, just don't follow. Yeah, look, I mean, you know, he inherited a small newspaper in Adelaide and grew it into something that's, um, you know, the, one of the biggest media companies in the world and um, buys, uh, you know, buys the Wall Street Journal. Um, so it's, uh, it's, 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 quite a, it's quite a commercial achievement. Um, but you know, they had the whole scandal in the UK with the, the wiretapping and, and all of that. But, um, I guess running big businesses, it's, um, all sorts of drama comes with the territory. We, we know what challenges we have in just a, um, a smaller business. So every, everything just compounds at the rate of knots. So we really, um, you know, when people are critical, um, we should, um, you know, uh, I, I I sympathize with my fellow CEOs somewhat, even if it, even if it is Rupert Murdoch, even though I don't think he would put me in the same category as him. But, you know, it's not like our jets are parked at the airport in the same sort of part of the airport, James. One day they will be, one day. <laughs> Uh, yeah who who knows anyway um, been a long podcast thank you very much for listening episode 52 is now done please uh, drop us a comment on the website please email us please tweet us if you've made it this far particularly um, our stats show when you listen they don't show when you've come right until the end so I would love to hear from you if you've actually made it right until the end we're always aiming to make these podcasts um, better and um, we're mixing up the, pre- the presenters at the moment with James and Chelsea, or we'll have Charles again as well. And um, thanks for listening. So from myself, Kevin, and from James, um, we'll catch you in two weeks. Have a good one.